And so then one girl literally like messaged me on Instagram. She was like, Hey, like I did this inspired by your line drawings. Like this, it was really, really cool. Thank you so much. And I, I literally cried. I was like, Oh my God, I'm, I made it like somebody like, like my art enough to just like recreate it. Like, holy crap. Hi, I'm Ankita Verma, and you're listening to Gen BIPOC. Gen BIPOC is a podcast where I talk to young people who identify as Black, Indigenous, or people of color about their lives, dreams, and vulnerabilities. This week's guest is Manasi Arya. I came across her art on Instagram and thought her work as a digital artist was really cool. And she so happened to be doing a Q&A on Instagram at the time. So I asked her if she would be interested in being on my podcast, and she said yes. So she talks a little bit about her experience as an artist, as a special education teacher, and a little bit about the South Asian influence in her art. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. My name is Manasi Arya, and currently I am a special education teacher, and I'm also in graduate school um, doing my master's in special education. Um, and yeah, kind of like what you said, I'm a digital artist, but I also paint. I also paint on denim jackets. I'm a painter, so I think more as a digital artist, like I just want to be known as an artist in general. Like I do use a lot of different mediums, and so digital art is just truly very simple and easy, and it's nice to be able to make mistakes and immediately erase it. So it is very easy. And so that's why I think a lot of people have seen me and found me through that. But I think in my core, I'm just like a very artistic, creative person. And so that's definitely like how I would love people to view me as. But yeah, I grew up in Northwest Indiana. My parents are there right now. And I was born in India. And I moved here when I was like six months old with my mom. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So how did you get started in art? Yeah, so my mom is actually an artist. She, of course, is a uh, stay-at-home mom, but that doesn't mean anything. Like she still works really, really hard. And so she did so much art growing up. She took all the classes. And so when I was little, she would train me in art. I would sit next to her while she painted and then she would teach me art. Um, And then I went to art classes at just like different centers and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I got started. It's so cool to hear you talk about how your mom taught you art because something that I noticed right away with your Instagram handle is that it wasn't just art by Monacy, it was art with Monacy (laughs) and how a big part of your artwork is making sure that you bring other people along with you and teach them. So did your mom have any influence on you wanting to share your artistic skills with the world? Wow, I actually really didn't even think about it like that. But totally, I think so. I think, um, I think it's so important to be transparent and also teach others because I hate the competitive mindset. And I think as a South Asian, especially Indian, like, that's Mm -hmm. how we grow up, like such a competitive mindset. And that's like, I don't want to be like that. And when I was thinking about my, I guess, like brand, and at that time, when I made my Instagram, I wasn't thinking of it as a brand, I was just thinking of like, what would I want people to see when they saw my art Instagram. And so saying art with Monacy just made the most most sense to me, because I want other people to create art with me and like learn, because I think anybody can do art if they really tried. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that too because I did the Mandy for the cover art for my podcast and thank you and I I hadn't done it in a while but I just I feel like this happens to a lot of people but especially South Asians with us being siloed into these specific tracks that people (laughs) tend to do but I was so artistic growing up 
and would have my mom buy tubes of Mandy's so I could draw them on her hands. Yeah. And then I was like trying to think of what I wanted my cover art to be. And I wanted it to be a reflection of like me and my culture and background. And I was like, I haven't done this in years. So I was practicing and I was Googling stuff and like looking at different Instagram accounts of artists. So for you to be so intentional about that and know that you want to share it. It's like, I'm someone who's definitely benefited from this. Loved your tip of like using the ends of paintbrushes to draw perfect circles (laughs) or blot perfect circles because it's so much more versatile than you can think like you can totally make them different sizes even with the same end of a brush and I was just like magic (laughs) yeah I also when I first started digital art it was really hard for me to find classes and stuff like that that like would teach you digital art that was like simple and easy and I even like made a Skillshare like I really wanted to learn like I guess like the right way to do it and there was like nothing and then even on Instagram like I reached out to the bigger artists that were doing digital art and that are known for digital art and no one really responded to me and honestly TikTok is a beautiful thing because so many TikTok artists just like posted random things and I put it together and I just like kept practicing and experimenting. And then I finally like, like figured out my style and it took a little bit for me to figure out my style and stuff like that. But then I was like, Mm -hmm. I want to teach other people that because like even just learning the basics of like the application I use, which is procreate, like that helps so much when you like look at it because otherwise you're like confused with everything that's happening. And I think it's important to help other people learn because it's not really a competition. It's okay, you know? Yeah. To hear you say that, I want to revisit what you said earlier about how competitive South Asians are and how it seems like there's this resistance to skill sharing. What has been your experience with that? Because that's something that I think about a lot, but I haven't actually processed this out loud with another South Asian before. Yeah, like in the art world, I think, um, especially the Instagram art world, I think people are actually really awesome. It's not as competitive as I would have thought. And also like every single one of us has a different style and stuff like that. And even if it's similar, like we all have different ideas, things overlap all the time, because art is like that art is very subjective. You know what I mean? Like, we all have very similar concepts and stuff like that, especially if we're doing South Asian inspired art. So I think the art world is really awesome and it's not as competitive as I would have thought. And I've met amazing people like, but I've also met people that aren't so nice and that are competitive. I just try really hard not to like interact with them, especially on social media in life. Of course, I've met so many competitive people um, growing up. It was all about competitions and dancing and stuff. Like I was a Kathak dancer. And so of course, there was so much competition, like who was the better dancer, who's going to dance individually versus who's going to be in a group of people and like all that kind of stuff. And I hated it. And it definitely like influenced my parents and um, made me feel like I was just not good enough. But that is and shouldn't be the case at all. And even just like in college, I was pre-med in college and the competitive mindset for pre-meds and that are people that are daisy is insane because everyone wants to be better than everyone else. And that like, shouldn't even be the case because like getting into medical school truly can be just such luck apart from your, you know, like mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I just, I hated it. I hated being surrounded by it and it's essentially toxic too. So I'm glad I'm just not in an environment like that anymore because I really, really hate the competitive mindset. I love hearing about the other South Asian folks who were once pre-med in college and diverged heavily from that path. It's like, welcome to the family. Let's start a support group. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Have you actually experienced any competitive mindsets and like experiences? Honestly, if I'm being 100% transparent, I feel like when I was younger, I was like the competitive monster. It's okay. You're admitting it. But... As I got older, I realized, why am I being so competitive about things that I don't even care about? But I think what's actually been the most disappointing is in previous jobs I've had or spaces that I've been in where I've been introduced to other South Asian people and was really excited because I thought, oh, like I haven't seen many South Asian people in this space I like I'm excited to get to know them. I'm like excited to hear about their experiences and like um, especially for people who are older than me or had been in politics or government longer was really excited to hear more. And 
I have like very often been met with resistance or like disinterest. And something that one of my former coworkers mentioned once is how something she really admires about the people in her life is that they lift as they climb. And very rarely have other South Asian people I've met been the ones who lift as they climb. So I'm excited to talk to people like you who obviously live the opposite of that. But it's also been like interesting for me to kind of think about why I think that is. And I I feel like for now, I've decided that it's just South Asians proximity to white supremacy. Oh, yeah. And like, white culture and wanting to live up to those standards and that like contributes to that and I'm like actually we're on the same team yeah. I'm, I'm not here to fight you like I want you to be happy and be successful yeah. and like live your best life and that can be true for all of us yeah, absolutely and I think we all have something to offer and you know my friends and I always think about it like whatever field you're you're in there are always going to be people that are better than you and there's always going to be people that are worse than you but like nobody's you so like, mm-hmm. what's the point of competing with somebody else that like is doing exactly what you're doing when you truly offer something different? Right, exactly. It's like even just even like going back to TikTok, what you mentioned earlier, it's just like a lot of people will do the same version of a dance, oh but it still God. looks good, even though they like have their own individual spins yeah. on it. But going off of South Asian-ness, something that I've noticed in your art is that you're very intentional about what you create too, and that there's often South Asian influence. Can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to portray that specifically and the ways in which you mesh other cultures with South Asian cultures? Yeah. Uh, growing up, I think I speak for so many people that have two different cultures, being American, being Indian. I truly just didn't embrace being Indian. I didn't have many Indian friends in high school. And I was very embarrassed by, you know, my lunches and all that kind of stuff. And so when I was in college, I was just blown away by how many brown people there were. And I joined an Indian, I joined the Ross team. And so I met so many amazing people that were just like me and they were, they're Indian, but they're also American. So we grew up very similarly. And I just like, after that, I was like, why did it take me so long for me to just embrace being Indian? And like, I was in like all of like throughout my childhood, like I was part, I I did classical Carnatic music. I was a Kathak dancer. Like I did all the Indian things with my family, but then I, in the other side, like I just truly just didn't embrace being Indian. I didn't like it. I was embarrassed and like all of those things. And so after that, like, I think moving forward with my life and like being a teacher, especially in a community that doesn't have South Asian people, I just wanted to show my art in a way where other people may perceive it as super interesting or wanting to learn and educate themselves about a different culture and things like that and so I just really wanted to concentrate on my voice and like I wanted to talk about my experiences over something else and not just do general art just because like there needs to be a purpose with what you're doing also so I've seen a lot of digital artists that are amazing and so talented and they just like post like a rainbow or like you know like random lines and that's cool and all obviously like that's super trendy right now, but like, I didn't want to do that. Like I am Indian and I am South Asian and Desi and there are so many people like us. And I want other people to also look at my art and be like, wow, like I feel represented. And even if I'm like a smaller artist and there are so many other artists like that, like we all do different things and we all have a different story. And so I think that's like really, really important. And so that's kind of where I was at with that. And then I work at a charter school and the community is mostly this, especially the population at my school is black and they're like a lot of kids and my like teachers and stuff like that. When they look at me, they don't see me as someone who's Indian, but they just kind of see me as someone maybe that's mixed or Latina and stuff like that. And so after that, I was like, it's very, obviously not a bad thing. Like I, I'd like to educate them, especially kids that have never met anyone that's Indian. But after that, I was like, I want it to be very obvious that I am Indian and I want other kids and teachers and people to know what a South Asian person is, what a Desi person is and all that kind of stuff. And so I try really hard to do that, but I also try to do it where it's like a little bit more generalized too. So yeah, 
I'm just imagining you wearing one of the t-shirts on which you ironed on one of your designs like to work. <laughs> I did. And I've even worn a shirt that says Daisy. I've worn a shirt that says um, Live Ross because we had this like Ross fundraiser once and it just and it's like a Taco Bell shirt that says Live Ross. And a bunch of kids were like, do you work at Taco Bell? And I was like, no, but it says Live Ross <laughs> and Ross is the dance form that I did when I was in college. And then it's like such a great conversation starter because then like, uh, a lot of the kids that I work with, we work with one-on-one or a small group setting. And so then I'll show them a video on YouTube of me dancing with my other dancers on um, Ross from college and stuff. So it's such, such a great conversation starter when I wear it, clothes like, or yeah, shirts like that, big earrings, things like that. And going back to what you said earlier about how you hated being Indian, was it always like that for you growing up, spending most of your life in the States? Or was there a time maybe where you remembered transitioning into hating your background more? I don't know if I would say like I, I hated it. I think I just was mostly like embarrassed and I didn't embrace it enough. Like I didn't know how important it was because I think that like even our parents, right, like they grew up in like a South Asian country and they, that's just like how it is and coming to a different country. Like how are they supposed to teach you to embrace being Indian or whatever, if that's literally what they are, you know? And so I think it developed into something that I just did not know how to embrace because none of my friends in high school were, you know, South Asian. None of them knew any of the foods that I had and they were able to stay up late and go to sleepovers, whereas I just couldn't because that was just the strictness of my family. And that was because I was Asian and like Christmas gifts and things like that. Like we didn't do any of that, you know, and my parents Mm -hmm. didn't know why I wanted to so badly. And so I think it just was mostly like, oh, I'm Indian and that's why I can't do that, you know? Yeah, (laughs) this reminds me every Easter. I'm like, I don't really know what Easter is. And I'll say this to people and they'll always like try to start explaining it to me. And I'm like, no, you can stop. Like, I will not commit this to long term memory. I'm just going to say this every single year. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I agree. And I've tried and it's just like, we, we just don't do the same things. Exactly. And it's just like, I there, there's so much other stuff I need to learn about. I don't have space for all of it in my head. Yeah. But you also mentioned that you're a teacher. Can you talk a little bit about your work in teaching and what that's been like for you so far? Yeah. Um, Okay. So I talked about like earlier, I said that I was pre-med. So I decided to take a gap year after college. And so I am in Teach for America right now. And so I, I don't even know how I found the program or like why I wanted to start, why I thought that this would be a program that was best fit for me, but I just like really liked their mission and I wanted kind of like a different experience in a field that I had never thought was an option for me. Education, right? Like being South Asian, like education, you want to be a teacher, like what? And so I really liked their mission. Uh, One of my best friends was in Teach for America in the year above me. And so I, I think like I speak for a lot of people that are in Teach for America, the experience is really difficult. And so she was having a really hard time, but yet I like, I wanted to do it. I like challenged myself. And so that's what I'm doing right now. And it is tough and it's a lot. And the population that I work with is primarily black kids that are in like low income communities. And I just had no idea anything about any of that. And I just have learned so much in the past year and a half about myself, about this world. And it just, it definitely opened my eyes to what I want to do for the next few years and like my future. And I don't really want to be a doctor anymore. And I would love to stay in education. And I just realized how privileged I am and how I guess lucky I am. And I it opened my eyes that like, that's just not how it is for so many people. And I think being South Asian, we take that kind of stuff for granted. And yeah, I definitely learned a lot. And I I love being a teacher. I know that Teach for America has come with its fair share of criticism. And you highlighted one of them in your journey about how folks often will use Teach for America as 
a filler for a couple of years before they go on to medical school or go on to something that's completely unrelated to teaching. But you went into this program with that intention and have changed your mind, which is awesome. I actually don't know how many people know this about me, but education is really important to me. And I thought I was going to be a teacher and actually got offered a job with Teach for America, but didn't take it. Anyway, I just have a lot of respect for teachers. And I think that they do some of the most difficult work and are often saddled with solving literally all of the world's problems, but also given almost none of the resources. So can you start by describing your journey of changing your mind and what that looked like and what specifically about teaching and specifically in special education convinced you to want to pursue education long-term rather than a medical degree? Oh yeah. So um, when I first did Teach for America, I thought it was going to be a gap year. It's not, it's not a gap year type of situation. Like you really have to like like it and be in the proper mindset to be a teacher, especially if you're not trained previously to be a teacher, right? Like we were kind of just essentially dropped in this position. And yes, we're doing a master's program and all that kind of stuff. But you know, that takes some time to like learn like the proper skills to be a teacher, you know? So I yeah, so I'm a special education teacher, elementary special education teacher. And I just fell in love with the students I think that each one of them teaches you something different. And it's just truly amazing how they take their experiences that are so difficult at such a young age and they bring it to school and then they trust you and they give you so much love and they need love back. And I guess I didn't know that there were other ways to help people that wasn't being a doctor. And that was like, why I changed my mind. Like, I think for so long, like, I was like, I want to be a doctor because I want to help people. But like, there are so many different ways you can help people, you can influence people. And I see that in my art Instagram, too. Like, I'm like, essentially, like helping people by like, teaching them how to do art, or like, maybe giving them a different way of showing their voice that like, they don't know how to or something like that. Obviously, that's like very small, and like different. But mm-hmm. in education, like it's so much different. Like I had no idea how these kids were. And I had it was just like, I feel like I was blocked off from a different world. And they just teach me so much. And so after that, I was like, I, I really love what I do. And I would love to stay in education and maybe one day, be a principal or, you know, something like that. Yes, I totally feel that. It's always nice to hear about folks who have like actually gone through this system and are like, okay, what is like more broader systemic change that I can bring to education? But something that I learned recently with conversations I've had with people in my school district back home is that there's a lot of research that shows that separating students by learning ability is actually more detrimental to students in the long run. Oh yeah. So what would you say are some of the biggest deficits you've seen in separating students by ability? Yeah, yeah. First of all, I, I agree. I think it's very important to have students that are in special education to be in an environment with other students that aren't in special education just because a lot of the students in special education that are like mild, which is basically what my degree is, mild, moderate, they have just like learning disabilities. Some of them have ADHD. Some of them are maybe like cognitively like lower and some of them have an emotional disability. And it's just like so much different than you would probably think special education is. It's not necessarily like a student in a wheelchair or things like that, because that's a lot. Honestly, that was what I thought. And that's a lot of what my friends think special education kids are, but that's not, that's not how it is. And so having a student with a learning disability in math in an environment with other students that are good in math will encourage them to want to work harder and like learn it and maybe seek out more help. And yes, sometimes it can be discouraging, but I think it's like really great to have them in a social environment with others that like, they are probably more, close to in just like personalities and just like, you know, age wise and all that kind of stuff. I think that that's so, so important. But I think there are also different ways that some students shouldn't be in the classroom, you know, like some students can't speak, 
and things like that. So it can be very difficult. But even then, like having them in an environment with other students, like will encourage them to try to like talk or like, you know, be a little kid, you know. So that's definitely there. I think a lot of people have a really different perception of what special education is. And when you look at a student, you don't know if they're a special education student because it's it's not about the outside. It's about their mind. And like a lot of people can benefit from extra interventions. And so they just need more of that. I was wondering if you could also talk about how would you go about convincing people who aren't on board or who don't necessarily believe that it's more helpful to not separate students? Research for sure. But I think having like teachers that know how to teach um, students that are low to high to middle would be the best way. I know that we like learn a lot about that, but it's really difficult to teach kids of all different sorts of levels. And like a good teacher can do all of that. But then teachers like that are new, like me and like that are not trained to do that. It's just so difficult having someone who's low and high and in the middle because they don't know how to teach all of that. But like, I know what parents are saying, like when they're like, I just want my child to be in the gifted and talented program, like only, but I think it's important to have like a whole mix of kids too, just because like they need the challenge or they need to see other kids. And not always when you're in a gifted and talented program, are you going to be gifted and talented in everything, you know? And so it's just, I don't know. It's a hard question. And I have no idea to be quite honest with you. Another thing that I feel like schools have been making the news for a lot lately is COVID and how many schools have had varying plans for what it looks like to open, what it looks like to close. So have you been going in person or have you been virtual? And what's that been like in the pandemic era? Yeah. So in my school, they had an expectation that the special education team would be in person from the start of the school year, which was like August-ish. And so I have been in the building since August and some students were, most of the students were virtual at that point. Some students were coming in person and I was very, very scared in the beginning, but I think it's so much more important to have the student in person because my students that were in person, it was just so much easier to work with them one-on-one together, look at the board and stuff like that. And even if the mask was like irritating and stuff like that and having them wear the mask and telling them to wear it 50 million times, like that was so much easier than like looking at a screen and talking to my students and some couldn't get on. There's so much technical issues and stuff like that. So I was really scared, but I'm very thankful that my school did have the opportunity to open the school so then some kids can come in. And it's crazy. And yes, the pandemic is still happening, but I think it's so good for kids to be in person. Like it's been what, seven months since they've been in school. And not only is the educational gap already really bad, it's probably even more with the fact that COVID has happened and we had to shut down schools in March and then we just opened. And so it's really nice to have the kids back in the school, interacting with other kids, being out of the house, you know, and being in an environment where it's just strictly school instead of like in their bedroom on a computer, you know? And so I think it's like, it's really awesome until somebody gets COVID, but it's really awesome right now. Is there anything that surprised you about teaching? Oh, yeah. I guess I forgot how funny the kids are and how they're just so brutally honest with you. And I I don't know, it's just so funny because some of these kids just like have the most bizarre thoughts, but like it just makes you laugh. Like I was in the playground. I love going to recess because I get to interact with all of the students because I don't get to see a lot of them because... I always pull out my students. And so I always go to recess. And then one day, like I was just talking to a kid and he was just like, you don't read the Bible. And he was like talking to another kid about it. And I was like, can you chill? Like, you don't have to, you know, some people don't read the Bible. That's not part of their religion. And he's, and then I was like, for me, cause I'm not, not part of my religion to read the Bible. And he's like, Oh, why? Cause you're Korean. And it's just like, whacked <laughs> me up. Cause he's just like, where did you get that from? And then his friend was just like, no, she's Chinese. What? 
And so it's just, it made me laugh because it like obviously brings you like some light into such a strange situation. And I, and then that was like such a great way for me to educate them and be like, no, I'm Indian from India. My parents are from India, things like that. And like, they're like, oh, wow, I've never met an Indian person before. And that's not their fault for, because they just assume, you know, but it's like so funny where they come up with these things like Korean, like what? They also just kind of subtly proved that race is a social construct and completely made up by saying that. Have you ever used your background and experience in art to do art projects in school with your students? All the time, yeah. So last year, especially, I had a student, he was really low and he had like a lot of behavior issues. And so we would work together and like earn points. So then him and I could draw and then um, we would draw together and then I would draw like one picture and then he would draw like the same thing. He was super into Killer Croc. I had no idea what the heck Killer Croc was until he showed me a picture and it was like this scary demon thing. But like he made me draw it for him and he was an amazing artist. So um, one time just to like encourage him. We went outside with chalk and then we drew outside and we drew those weird characters that he was super into and we did all of that kind of stuff. And it just developmentally, like it helped him. And then I started incorporating art stuff into his just like learning. So because he was like low just to do like math stuff or whatever, like I would just like draw like one of his like favorite characters or whatever and then math problems inside like a shape so then he can color it and stuff like that. And so I definitely tried. Um, there's only so much I can do because then like we can't draw all day, you know? I mean, that would be the dream, but oh, wow. yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's been really good just being able to do that and like, earn points, I guess, to like draw. And then a few other kids found out that I could draw and then they were like, can you draw me Spider-Man? I was like, no, I don't, I don't know you. Like, you're not my student. <laughs> can you draw me Spider-Man? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome that actually makes me wonder how long does a piece of art usually take you depending on what it is yeah so the ones that I do with my students because it's just like this rough sketch with a pencil it doesn't take too long because then they end up coloring it and stuff like that painting takes me so long just because like the drawing um making it really perfect with the lines and stuff like that but digital art doesn't take me as long like if I have a solid idea I can like crank it out in a few hours depending on obviously the complexity, if, if it's like has like super details and stuff like that, like I can't probably do it in a few hours. But if it's not really a solid idea, it takes me like weeks. So is there something that you've created or shared on your page that you're most proud of? There are two that I'm really proud of. One of them was a while ago that I did. And it was actually such an easy super easy digital art piece, but people like really liked it and resonated with it. So obviously we know that this whole like, oh my God, why am I blanking with the Bangladesh workers and stuff like that? Like there's this Mm -hmm. whole problem with clothing and fast fashion and stuff. And so yeah, and like the garment workers and their working condition. Yeah, and yeah, there we go. Being underpaid. Yeah. Being underpaid. So I was doing some research on it and then I was like, wow, like it would be really nice to just create some sort of art around this. And then also at that time, like it was super big. People were posting a lot of things because like that it was like super elevated at that time. So I was like looking into stuff and I was like, whoa, this like there was this like picture that I found and it was a bunch of garment workers. And they were all wearing different color clothing and they were all just like sitting so close to each other with like sewing machines. And so obviously right there, really poor working conditions. Why are they so close to each other and things like that? But it like, when you looked at the picture, it looked really beautiful. But then when you look deep and you're like, oh, wow, like what the heck is happening like in this picture? And so there was just image of this like random girl. And so I like just traced the outline of it um, just so it like looked like her. And then I copied and pasted all of those pictures of the garment workers. And so it like looked like a clothing pattern. But then when you look deep and like you zoomed into the photo, you could see that it wasn't like a pattern. It was like the garment workers. And so I did this whole post about like, where do your clothes come from? What can we do moving forward to make it like better for everyone, especially the garment workers? We hate fast fashion. And obviously, it's not easy to just cold turkey put it off because it's so convenient and easy. But what can we do instead, like go to thrift stores, you know, buy secondhand clothing, buy like more sustainable fashion, things like that. And so that was number one, that was my favorite one that I had done. And I was really, really proud of it. 
And I really loved how many people also resonated with it because I guess I, I guess I didn't realize how much of a problem it was and how like people just don't know what to do. So that was my number one. And then my second one that I like really love is the women empowerment one. I did this recently and I actually have a sticker on it too, but it's just six different women. And obviously it's really hard to be inclusive to all women just with six you know, women, but I really am proud of that one just because I worked really hard to figure out like a pattern and like where I wanted the women to go. And it like actually took me like months to figure out like where I wanted it. And once I figured it out, like to just do it sideways, uh, the sticker came out really nicely. And then every time I look at it, I'm just like, this is just so empowering to see different women kind of like looking the same direction and like kind of on the same mission in a way. And so that was my second one that I'm really proud of. It's really cool to hear you talk about this art that I've seen because, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, this actually took me five minutes, didn't have to put much thought into it. It was just a feeling. And other times it's like, no, I actually put months of thought and work into this. And this was really intentional. But that doesn't mean that the products can't be like equally great. Yeah. Once they're finished. Yeah. But you mentioned that you created a sticker of one of these pieces of art. You have an Etsy shop. I do. (laughs) You're literally running a whole side business. Can you talk about what that has been like? Yeah. So first of all, I'm extremely burnt out. If you didn't notice already, I'm just so tired all the time. That's real. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But who isn't really tired all the time? But I think having this Etsy shop in a way is like such a great way for me to put my mind into something positive because it's like I'm sharing my art with other people. I've actually had this Etsy shop since like 2018. I've actually listed so many of my paintings, but nobody bought it. And even now nobody really buys it. And that's totally it. (laughs) But when I started digital art, like a bunch of people were like, can you like sell these and stuff like that? And at first I just didn't know how to do any of that because again, nobody tells you how to run a business. Nobody tells you where do I buy prints from? Where do I buy stickers from? Like, how do I even do this? Which is also why I like to share that. So it like took me such a long time to figure out like, where do I get my pictures printed? I don't want to buy a printer. I don't have time to do that. I don't want to invest all this money into something that I'm not even sure people will like react well with. And so Mm -hmm. I just buy my prints from a local print shop around here and the quality is really good. It's cheap and so easy for me. And so I built on that. And then I, I just started like listing a bunch of stuff on Etsy. I don't put everything on Etsy. Whenever somebody like asks me like, Hey, I would really like to buy this. Then I put that on Etsy and then I wanted to start sticker shop because again, a bunch of people were asking me. And so I did that and the stickers are really doing well. Not my paintings. My paintings never do well, but that's okay. Um, (laughs) But my stickers are doing really well. So I think having people tell you what they want and getting feedback from literally your followers, like that's why I started the Etsy was all because people were asking me for it. And so that's kind of how it started. This is an aside, but still related. But I just have to say, I really admire that you're giving the people what they want. Like, can you imagine if our politicians and leaders were like, I'm just going to listen to the people and give them what they want. And like, look at how successful you've been. You're running a super great sticker business. I feel like you won't say this, so I will. But she's had a couple bestsellers, which is pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And so maybe... You know, if one day someone in a position of power listens to this episode, I'm just going to give you some unsolicited advice. You should just listen to people when they tell you what you should do (laughs) because they know. Yes. And also people always ask questions. So always answer them. Tell them what they want. Like teach them, educate them, help them. That's so important. That reminds me of something else you mentioned earlier when we talked was that you respond to everyone who reaches out to you, which I love because I am also someone who's like, even if I can't help, I will respond. (laughs) Because if you're taking the time to reach out and asking a thoughtful question, then like, obviously, I'll do the best I can. Absolutely. And a lot of people like, I know you were like, asked me about the podcast, like not, not everyone like asks things like that. A lot of them are like, how do I do this in art? Or like, how did you get started? Or how did you get followers and things like that? And when I first started, like I messaged so many people, like, how do I do this? And not many people answered me. And I hated that. And not that I have this great big following or anything like that. But if I could help a few other artists, 
that would be amazing because like I really needed that help when I first started. And so that's why I respond to everyone. Like I like communicating with people too. Like I learned so much from people that follow me. They always ask me questions. Some literally tell me like, put this on Etsy, like, you know what I mean? And so it's just, it's so nice. And like, I want to thank them because they're taking the time to just like follow me and like be engaged with me and my posts and my art. And so why not? Like, give I, I have to, like, I want to respond to. So that's awesome. What are some things that you've learned about business specifically that you wish you had known? Because I think that there are a lot of creatives out there who want to figure out how to monetize their work, especially with so much more conversation around how people should be paid for their labor and art is labor. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. So I think that being paid for your work is extremely important. And when I first started, I did not do that. And my prices were really, really low. And even now, like I want my art to be as affordable as possible because when I like to buy art and stuff like that, like, and I get it, like this is like what a lot of artists do for a living. Like sometimes I don't have the money to just like spend $50 on a piece of art. So I try to make it as affordable as possible. But like for custom pieces, it is so obvious that you need to get paid a lot more. And so when I first started, I like reached out to so many different companies. Um, it's just like, do you have any digital art needs? And a few of them reached out back to me and I designed a few shirts for them. And they obviously get profit out of those shirts. And I do not, but I was the artist and I never even got paid for the art. And so my biggest advice to anybody that is starting some sort of business, always get paid for your art. Even if it's like a smaller amount, always get paid for your art. And even like when you're designing a t-shirt, like you need to either get paid like a lot of money or per t-shirt or per like item, because it's just like, you are the artist. That is what they see on the shirt. And I, I didn't know that. And again, nobody told me and my dad went to business school and stuff like that, but he doesn't understand this art world stuff. And he was like, I don't know. Like even now when I'm asking him like prices and stuff like that, he's like, I don't know like what prices that you should put. Like, how would I know that? How would people know? And so I think like, going with your gut but also you can ask me i will totally help you because i was about to reach out to other people because like some people literally won't reply to you but some people will and so reach out to other artists and stuff and they'll tell you how to price things because they've had the experience but yeah get paid for your work this reminds me someone asked me to do some consulting for podcasting and then also help with editing and this was the first time anyone had asked me to do that and i was like okay I know that I need to be paid for my labor. What do I charge? And like the internet wasn't helpful. I asked some friends who worked in the industry, but even their ranges, I was like, I either thought really that much or isn't that too low, but still like didn't know how to put a price on my time. And I still don't like I have zero clue. I <laughs> Okay, but like same, I, I it's hard. And it's also like a lot of experimenting, but I think a lot of people get angry when you're expecting money. It's also like, how do you ask people too? like, hey, I deserve to be paid? How do you ask people that, you know? It's also definitely a matter of putting myself into it because I can ask people for money without blinking an eye if it's for a cause that I think is important. Yeah. If I'm like, you need to you know, Venmo this person right now or Venmo me and I will send it to this cause. Zero hesitation. I will be super aggressive. I don't care. But when it comes to me, I'm just like, do I like, I guess I don't technically need to get paid for this. And I just, I don't know if you have like what your journey has been like to kind of convince yourself that no, actually you do deserve this because I am struggling still. Someone, I don't even know what her username was, but one person that I did message when I first started replied to me when I asked her like how do I price things and she was like you could either price it whatever you want or you could do like an hourly rate and so every hour you get this amount in your head and like however long it takes you to create the piece like estimate it and that's your price and I was like wow that's like actually really helpful because I would have never thought of an like an hourly thing yeah that reminds me as someone who also commissions and takes specific requests. Yeah. Has there ever been a time where someone asked you to create something where you were like, this doesn't really align with my values? <laughs> so I won't. Oh. So no, because a lot of what I do, even custom pieces, is just, you know, a picture that you send me. I charge more if it's like a completely custom piece out of nowhere. 
Um, you want me to create something for you. And like a lot of people don't want that because it is a little bit more. So no, I have not experienced anything crazy. And if I do, I probably would just say no, I don't want to do it. But someone like so long ago asked me for a custom piece. She was just like, can you do something with feminism in a book? <laughs> That's like literally what she said. And I screenshot it to my friend. And I'm like, did I like, did I say something to like make it seem like, I'm sorry, what? And she was like, wait, I'm actually crying right now. She literally just said feminism in a book. That's that's what I literally created for her. I was like, I need you to help me out and like, tell me more about what that even means. (laughs) She didn't though. And so I like gave her options of like what that means. And like, honestly, like feminism is very much part of like my mission and stuff. And so I like, I created something for her. She ended up really liking it. So it was fine. That's really nice of you to give this person options. I would have been like, okay, cool. I'm going to put feminism on a book and call it a day. (laughs) No, but I was like, I don't like, are you asking me to literally put feminism on a book? Do you want like a good quote or something like that? Like, what does that even mean? It's just so funny to me. Uh, This just reminds me of the customers always right, which is obviously not true, but still. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But It's been super awesome to hear you talk about your art and especially the emphasis you put on teaching others. Have any of your followers shared their art with you that they've created based on some of the stuff that you've taught and shared? Oh my God, yes. On TikTok, I posted this one video that went not viral because TikTok, I don't understand the algorithm, but it went more viral than like my other stuff. So for me, Mm -hmm. it went viral and it was just like literally like a before of like a blank canvas. And then after it was like my line drawing paintings that I do. And it's like, it was like a really large painting. And so that audio or something is supposed to help small businesses. So that's the one that I was using. And so a lot of people really liked that one. They asked me how I did that. And so then one girl literally like messaged me on Instagram. She was like, Hey, like I did this inspired by your line drawings like this it was really really cool thank you so much and I I literally cried I was like oh my god I'm I made it like somebody like liked my art enough to just like recreate it like holy crap she chose different colors and it looked obviously different but it just felt so nice that like somebody took the time to like learn my art and then now that I like started posting more tips on digital art and stuff like that, like there are a few new artists and that have created art Instagrams because they like saw my reel on how to do like illustrations. And they were like, they sent it to me and they were like, look, like I also started an Instagram. Thank you so much. And I was like, what? Because of me? Thank you. There's two people that messaged me that. And I was like, wow. I love hearing that. <laughs> That's awesome. One of my friends recently asked me what of the work that I've done so far has seemed the most effective and useful. And my immediate response was honestly none of it. Um, But then (laughs) I thought about it more and I was like, there are three women of color who have either started their own podcast or in the process of starting their own podcast as a result of listening to mine or knowing that I started my own. And I'm like, that has felt the most useful. I'm going to give a shout out to this friend by name. This is Julie, who is another woman of color who like, she is the reason why I started doing so much more extracurricular stuff and like learning how to use Canva and like writing more and like figuring out what my passions were outside of like a job. And so to know that that came from her to have her ask me that question and then say, actually, like, I can point to three people who have either started their own podcast or in the process of creating their own as a result of something that I did. And like, that's the whole point. So it's really awesome to hear you say that too, because it definitely motivates me to keep going. And going back to like, you know, South Asian-ness and the competitive nature, I feel like being a perfectionist also kind of foils into that too. And so something that I struggled with at the beginning was this doesn't feel perfect yet. And I was like, okay, if I keep on wanting it to be perfect, I will never start it. And so I just released it. And I've gone back to some of my earlier episodes and kind of cringe when I listen to them. (laughs) And I'm like... Uh, why did I ask this question? Why do I sound like that? This editing is not great. And like, yeah. but at the same time, I'm like, but it's getting better. So <laughs> I'm glad that I at least started it because if I, you know, let's say I had waited another year, then these three women wouldn't have had their own podcast yeah. right now. So yeah, um, you. all of this to say, if you're listening and you have an idea, the internet makes it so easy. You go do it. You have our support. Yeah, do it. <laughs> We're willing to help however we can. 
if you needed a sign, this is it. Yes. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to say. Yes, absolutely. Open that business. And get paid for your work. Get paid for your <laughs> Still work. working on it, but I want you to get paid for your work. <laughs> <laughs> get for your work. Uh, I, yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> I think like the thing that made it hard was like all of the Instagram infographics I've made. It's like, who pays me for that? You know, like, yeah. that's just kind of like how the internet works. It's like my public service. Yes, absolutely. And I get that. But you have to also think if you were in a position where you were asking someone or hiring someone for you to pay, like how much would you pay for the work that you were doing? Right? Yeah. So you would pay like an X amount of money. So whatever you would pay because you know that person deserves the money, right? Just think of that and then be like, okay, I'm I'm going to ask for that much. This is excellent advice and I know you're right. I'm just like, it's a work in progress. <laughs> I know that. I know that. It, it's also like your work is really good. So just be confident in it, right? It reminds me of this talk that I went to. It was virtual a few months ago that talked about negotiating salaries because so often it's people of color specifically who often don't negotiate as much as they should and this leads to wage gaps etc and one of the best pieces of advice that really stuck with me was that when you're negotiating salary you should negotiate as if you're talking on behalf of your best friend because chances are you're going to negotiate for a much higher salary and much more benefits and I was like Day. they were right <laughs> like yeah. if like one of my closest friends were negotiating for a salary I'd be like I think you should ask for like a million dollars a month more than what they offered you <laughs> yeah but for me I'm like you know this is fine whatever like yes no I completely agree we have to advocate for ourselves too exactly no one else is gonna do it but do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd like to share with listeners future artists anyone who's trying to pursue a passion yes i think the first step is literally doing it and i think having social media is truly a beautiful thing especially if you're doing it in a non-toxic way obviously we know that you know social media can be crazy toxic drama whatever but like also it's such a great way for you to meet people and to post things and for people to find your work and like resonate with it. So like utilize social media, post on TikTok, get a Pinterest, especially artists, like get a Pinterest and post on Pinterest. Social media is really awesome. And so I think just literally start, do it, just do it, open it, open up your shop. It doesn't have to be perfect to start. And it won't, and it takes time and you won't get sales tomorrow. You won't get sales maybe even next month, but like you did it and just keep working at it. So I didn't personally expect to get so many helpful tips from Monacy, but as you can tell, that's kind of her style. You can check out Monacy's work at Art with Monacy on Instagram and TikTok. I also wanted to share the names of the podcasts that I mentioned towards the end of the episode. You can check out You're So Rude by Gavya Singh and Former Teen Girl by Chris Becerra. And their Instagram pages are You're So Rude and Former Teen Girl. The third podcast is in progress, but I'll be sure to share it on my social media once it's released. As always, thanks for listening. If you're a fan of Gen BIPOC, subscribe to us on your podcast app, share this episode with your friends and family, and give us a rating or leave a review for future listeners. And if you or someone you know wants to share their story on this podcast, don't hesitate to reach out. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GenBIPOCPod, and visit GenBIPOCPod.com to stream more episodes and provide feedback. We'd love to hear from you.